Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. creepiest opening sequence music in the game. That's right, today we're talking Alien, the 1979 Ridley Scott classic that kicked off a sci-fi franchise with roots and connections laid within other awesome sci-fi vehicles, including Predator and Blade Runner, which was covered in last week's episode. Hi, I'm Captain Reese Hendrick of the Waylon yutani Corporation commercial towing vehicle, the USCSS Nostromo. So welcome aboard and try to stay out of the air ducts. Stay tuned for some facts about the movie, interesting tie-ins to other franchises, and an interview with fellow Shady Pines radio family member Tyus McCowan, host of Euphonia, which airs live Sundays from 8 to 9 a.m. We met up at Sookie's before the comedy open mic that takes place there on Tuesdays starting at 8.30, hosted by the fabulous Creasy Crashley Brothers. But before we go any further... I've got to enact quarantine protocol and issue a spoiler alert, spoiler alert. If you're not familiar with the Alien franchise, including Prometheus, the Predator and AVP movies, as well as Blade Runner to a degree, then now would be a good time to quit your job, black out your windows, and get enough weed to last you a week and watch every damn movie these franchises have to offer because they are awesome. Also, an update from last week's episode, my wonderful wife Amanda and I went to Powell's Books downtown and she got me a copy of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by legendary sci-fi author Philip K. Dick, which was the inspiration behind the Blade Runner film and book series. I'm so stoked to read it, so I've got to finally finish Bradbury's Martian Chronicles series to get to my new book. Oh, and she got me one about the history of seafaring, which I'm also super stoked to look into. Here's a quick synopsis of the film to refresh your memory. In deep space, the crew of the commercial starship Nostromo is awakened from their cryosleep capsules halfway through their journey home to investigate a distress call from an alien vessel. The terror begins when the crew encounters a nest of eggs inside the alien ship. An organism from inside the egg leaps out and attaches itself to one of the crew, causing him to fall into a coma. And they all live happily ever after. We're clean. Let us in. What happened to Kane? Something has attached itself to him. We have to get him to the infirmary right away. What kind of thing? I need a clear definition. An organism. Open the hatch. Wait a minute. If we let it in, the ship could be infected. You know the quarantine procedure. 24 hours for decontamination. It could die in 24 hours. Open the hatch. Listen to me. If we break quarantine, we could all die. Look, could you open the goddamn hatch? We have to get him inside. I read you. The answer is negative. All right, fair enough. (laughs) Imagine if it actually happened that way. I mean, well, then there'd be no movie. And by the way, I totally stand with Ripley in her decision. Alrighty, folks, let's get into some juicy, hyperacidic facts that are sure to melt your face and anything else it comes into contact with right off. Alien debuted on May 25th, 1979. During its opening weekend, it topped the box office with $3.5 million in sales. These days, movies can open to over $100 million, or in some cases, even $200 million plus. So that number may seem low, but ticket prices were a lot cheaper back then. What makes the number impressive is that it came out of just 91 theaters. The film's per-screen average was a whopping $38,767, meaning that although it wasn't in many cinemas, it did repeatedly sell out of the ones that were showing it. 
By comparison, the Peter Sellers comedy The Prisoner of Zenda opened in second place the same weekend with just $2.4 million from 417 screens. That's over four times the amount of screens that Alien was shown on. The movie ended its run in early October, amassing a grand total of $60 million. Adjusted for inflation, that would amount to $272 million today. Not a bad chunk of change. It was originally to be called Star Beast. Think the sci-fi gods that that never happened. When Dan O'Bannon was drafting the screenplay that would become Alien, he had a more unusual title, Star Beast. He didn't quite like it and struggled to find a better replacement until late one night during a writing session. As he was typing dialogue in which the crew members discussed the alien, that word just jumped out at him. He promptly ditched Star Beast for the simpler title, which he loved because it was both a noun and an adjective. The Xenomorph XX121, better known as just Xenomorph, or the alien, is an extraterrestrial hive-based endoparasitoid species with a multi-stage life cycle, possibly originating from the planet Xenomorph Prime. One of the deadliest of all known alien species, these creatures require a host organism in order to reproduce. The appearance of the Xenomorph can vary depending on the host in which the embryo is implanted. The human phenotype is generally around 7 to 9 feet in height and roughly 4 to 600 pounds in weight with a long muscular tail and large curved oblong head. The queen of this species is generally twice as large, although some queens have been uh, shown to grow even larger than that, some surpassing 30 meters in height if given the time, and possess superior speed, strength, and intelligence compared to her common offspring. The actor who played the alien was found in a bar. Nigerian student Balaji Badeo was sitting in a pub when one of the casting directors for Alien spotted him. The thin, seven-foot-tall graphic artist had just the frame to fill out the alien costume and was subsequently cast for the role, beating out Peter Mayhew, who you may know as Chewbacca from Star Wars fame. Alien was Bideo's only film role as Bideo never returned for the alien sequels, which used puppetry and later animation instead of suit performers. The original was his only film credit. His family revealed that he returned to Nigeria in 1980 and began running his own art gallery in 1983. He unfortunately died from sickle cell anemia at the age of 39. Ash the Android's innards were made from milk, caviar, pasta, and marbles. Remember that weird white goo that seeps out of Ash's android head when, he de when he's decapitated? Scott's crew made that from a combination of milk, caviar, pasta, and glass marbles. It was especially unfortunate for Ian Holm, who actually hated milk. This was Sigourney Weaver's breakout role. Uh, the rest of the Alien cast was already in place when Weaver was still auditioning to play Ripley, the most important role of the movie. It could have, in fact, starred Meryl Streep and Harrison Ford. Sigourney Weaver is so associated with the character of Ripley that it's practically impossible to imagine anyone else inhabiting the role. The character was almost portrayed by someone else, though. During the casting process, it was narrowed down to Weaver and Meryl Streep, who was then hot off The Deer Hunter and Woody Allen's Manhattan. But Streep was also going through a personal tragedy. Her boyfriend, actor John Cazale, had recently died from cancer. The producers felt that it may be inappropriate to approach her about working at that point, especially in a dark horror movie where multiple actors die gruesomely. So they offered the part to Weaver. Tom Skerritt, meanwhile, would not have had the chance to portray Dallas if Harrison Ford had said yes. Ford, presumably not wanting to do another outer space set flick so soon after Star Wars, turned that role down. Of course, he did make another sci-fi picture with Ridley Scott just a few years later with Blade Runner, a classic in its own right. Test audience members actually vomited and fainted. To a degree, part of Alien's appeal is that it's an endurance test. The facehugger, Ash's beheading, and especially the chestburster, they all have a shocking visceral impact. That was especially true in 1979. Such creative and explicit gore had rarely, if ever, been shown in a major studio release. Audiences were used to fun sci-fi, like Star Wars or cheesy sci-fi. They definitely weren't prepared to see a creature literally pop out of a man's chest. During a test screening for the film, chaos ensued. According to accounts from filmmakers, people fled the theater about an hour in right around the time of the facehugger, pushing past Scott, who stood in the lobby. They scrambled to get seats in the back so as to be further away from the screen. There was screaming and horrified gasping, 
and audience members were seen vomiting in the restrooms. A theater employee is said to have fainted after witnessing Ash's head being knocked off, and another viewer supposedly fell and broke an arm in an effort to flee the auditorium. It was clear to Scott and the producers that their movie hit exactly the chord it was intended to. Initially, Alien wasn't an easy sell. O'Bannon and Ronald Shusett, who co-wrote the story but not the screenplay, bounced between producers for a while, almost landing a deal with B-movie legend Roger Corman. But the script eventually went to a new company, Brandywine Productions, which had ties to 20th Century Fox. The three founding members asked for all sorts of rewrites, but each new treatment O'Bannon and Shusett returned wasn't swaying the brass at Fox. Then Star Wars arrived and took over the box offices. Every studio in town rushed to get anything remotely sci-fi into production, so Alien got the green light. O'Bannon and Shusett wrote the entire cast as men initially, but they left a note in the screenplay that, quote, the crew is unisex and all parts are interchangeable for men or women. Shusett admits that they never dreamed of the lead being a woman, though. The producers made that call, believing a female Ripley would be more unique and also more palatable to their bankrollers. As Brandywine producer David Geiler remembered, looking over it, producer Walter Hill and I thought, here's this one character who's not too interesting. And this studio, I hate to say this, but for very cynical reasons, this studio, meaning 20th Century Fox, is making Julia and Turning Point and they really believe in the return of the woman's movie. We'd probably get a lot of points if we turn this character into a woman. The spaceship was originally named Snark, and it was then changed to Leviathan until producers finally settled on Nostromo. The name was ripped from the title of a 1904 novel by Joseph Conrad, which follows an Italian explorer sent to South America to plunder a silver mine. That's not the movie's only Conrad reference, though. The shuttle that Ripley uses to escape is called Narcissus, and that moniker refers to yet another Conrad novel with a much more problematic title, which I will leave up to you, the listener, to investigate on your own. Spacesuits, even fake ones made for movies, do tend to get hot, especially when they don't let any air out. Add in set lighting and a summertime production schedule, and you have some truly sweltering conditions for the actors. Veronica Cartwright, who played Lambert, revealed in The Beast Within that the actors were fainting so regularly that a nurse was kept on standby with oxygen tanks. But the costumes weren't actually updated until kids got involved. For a few perspective shots, Scott put his two sons in spacesuits. They also passed out, which finally forced the crew to modify the costumes. For the iconic scene where a chestburster shoots out of John Hurt's torso, Scott wanted the best possible reaction from his cast so he deliberately kept details hidden from all of the actors aside from Hurt. They knew a creature would emerge, they had seen the puppet, and they were more than a little suspicious of the raincoats they'd been given, but they had no idea what kind of gore was in store. Their reaction to the bloody burst is completely genuine, and according to The Guardian, Yafet Koto, who played Parker, shut himself in his room right after the scene and wouldn't talk to anyone. The movie initially offered a much more concrete ending for Ripley's crewmates, Dallas and Brett. In a deleted scene, Ripley encounters them both as she's rushing to the shuttle. They've been wrapped in an alien cocoon, and only Dallas can make out a few words. When it becomes clear to Ripley that they're beyond saving, she tortures the entire cocoon. Almost everyone involved felt the scene drag down Ripley's escape, and since the original cut was well over three hours, it was left out of the final film. It's interesting to note that the producer's first choice to direct Alien was actually Robert Altman. Ridley Scott, who wound up directing, was their fifth choice. And the film's famous tagline, In Space No One Can Hear You Scream, was written by actress and copywriter Barbara Gipps. Here are a couple of insights behind the production and set of the movie. The blue laser lights that you can see in the egg chamber of the alien ship were actually borrowed from British rock band The Who. Uh, who had been practicing their light show for an upcoming tour at an adjacent soundstage. The tendons in the jaws of the beast that you see when it emerges from Kane's chest uh, is actually shredded condoms, and the slimy substance that you see on the alien was the sexual lubricant KY Jelly. I'd say that's a fairly good reference to the uh, sexual overtones of that male penetration scene 
and just the general sexual overtones that you see in the imagery created by H.R. Giger, but we'll get to that in a minute. The newborn alien screech was recorded by animal impersonator Percy Edwards, who got the sound right on the first take. Talk about a one-and-done. The vapor you see emerging from inside the actor's helmets was aerosol being sprayed from inside the helmet outward. At one point, however, a mechanism malfunctioned and began spraying inside of the helmets. I wouldn't have wanted to have been in that scene. The cat named Jones was actually played by four different felines. Um, I would be hard-pressed to find the difference. They did a pretty good job with continuity there. And uh, here are a couple of homages to the movie in other pop culture. In Mel Brooks's sci-fi parody Spaceballs, John Hurd, uh, who plays Kane, stars in a scene where another monster bursts from his chest, leading him to say, Oh no, not again. Uh, Alien and its sequel, Aliens, were the inspiration for the video game Metroid, which features a female character named Samus Aran, who is based on Sigourney Weaver's character Ripley. The alien villain is named Ridley as an homage to director Ridley Scott. In 2019, the North Bergen, New Jersey High School Drama Club, who had previously performed a theatrical version of Night of the Living Dead, presented a staged version of Alien, and boy would I love to get my hands on a copy of that. If anybody uh, happens to know someone who can get me that footage, um, I would love to see a staged version of Alien. I bet it's fantastic. The National Film Preservation Board of the United States deemed Alien to be quote, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant in 2002, which is pretty interesting. James Cameron is a noted perfectionist, and his attention to detail is legendary. He made sure to study the original Alien film closely to make sure that his sequel matched it, right down to the smallest details that only hardcore fans would even think to look for. During the finale of Alien, Ripley blasts the creature with a harpoon gun, sending the beast out into space. The gun gets lodged in the door before it clears the ship, forcing Ripley to blast the alien with the engines. When recreating the life pod set for aliens, Cameron and his crew must have gone over this scene with forensic detail, because if you look closely, when the salvage team is cutting through the door, the harpoon gun can still be seen lodged in it. It's something most people won't even notice, but it's the kind of obsessive feature that makes Cameron one of the most important directors in the game. Let's touch on the Mother 6000, known simply as Mother. It was a 182 model 2.1 terabyte AI mainframe that served as the computer mainframe for the Nostromo. Mother autopiloted the ship while the crew were in hypersleep and monitored their activities. Mother also collaborated with Science Officer Ash to implement Special Order 937 and ensure the survival of the xenomorph specimen collected on LV-426. Special Order 937 was a classified retrieval order given by Wayland yutani to Science Officer Ash aboard the USCSS Nostromo. The order's main priority was to preserve the xenomorph specimen that was encountered by the Nostromo in the Zeta-2 reticuli system and bring it back alive for analysis. All other priorities are considered secondary, and all of the Nostromo's crew members are deemed expendable. Check out this interview with my fellow nerd and Shady Pines brethren, Tyus McCowan. We met up at the very festive Sookie's Bar and Grill to talk about Alien before doing a couple of sets at the weekly comedy open mic hosted there by the fabulous Creasy Crashley brothers, who gave me an awesome holiday gift this year, Yes, the rumors are true. They're going to be on this very podcast. What will we talk about? No one knows. I miss it being a dollar fifty instead of seven. And it's not even the good kind. Uh, that Korean inflation. Yeah. Well, like, so they can't... I know too much about this. But, like... Alcohol content in soju in Korea is like relatively unregulated, so you don't really kind of know from bottle to bottle from the same fucking factory, basically, like what you're gonna get. Right. You know, sometimes it can Just be like, Uma's mixture. Yeah, it could be like, you know, 15 up to like 30%. So, like, 
you'd be feeling good. You drink like six bottles of soju, or on a night, drink like three bottles of soju. Yeah, that's like the difference between wine and liquor. Yes. That's, that's yeah. pretty significant. And it, and it bridges that wonderful gap. Like, soju fills a very, very specific place, and it's dirt fucking cheap. In your liver. I just yeah. It. yeah. Uh, but yeah, fucking. Uh, well, for yeah, the. But, for those listening in, uh, oh, I, that's okay. No, that's okay. Uh, I'm Tyus. <laughs> for those listening in, I'm sat here with Tyus McCowan. I got that. I yeah, got that you know. Great. Uh, he is the host of Euphonia on Shady Pines Radio. He's a fellow Tribes member, so pleasure to have you here. We're sat here at Sookie's Lounge uh, in karaoke before the Tuesday uh, comedy open mic. So we're gonna we're gonna rip that in a minute. But in the meantime, we're gonna talk about aliens. Fuck or yeah. alien, alien, rather. Again. Yeah, alien. Yeah, and this is a point of confusion this, yeah. for a moment. Luckily, I'm a big fan of both both <laughs> the entire property, the entire sure. oeuvre of alien related content, except for like the novelizations and the video games. It's like the only thing I haven't delved into. But nice. like even that the crossover alien versus predator shit. Yeah, all about it. I'm about APP too. We're gonna cover that in another like little mini series yeah. after I've done Predator as a standalone Smart. or maybe a couple parts. Yeah. Um, Let's get the, the the important stuff out of the way. Did you know that they make an ovipositor shaped like the oh, alien? Yeah, of course yeah. I know that. I'm a, okay. I'm a sick fucking freak, yes. man. Cheers I know all about you. alien impregnation <laughs> fetish and, and all sorts of. I mean, you know, the, the movie is a penis come to life. You know, so how can you not? How it's H.R. Giger's yeah. necro penis come to life. Yeah, you yeah. don't get 40 years after the fact and not have someone have made a working alien dick. For yeah. sure, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there has to be at, le- at very least a retired special effects guy who was just bored one day. Yeah, working in his, in right. his shop, you know, his, with sex, his, his sex life at home yeah. was kind of wavering, and he's like, you know, let's spice things up. I know what I know what would, what would make this better: a xenomorph. <laughs> <laughs> a xenomorph opositor. Uh, well, now that we got the important stuff out of the way, you have a Twitter. What's, yeah, what's your Twitter I handle? do have a Twitter. It's uh, at the only Tyus. Uh, That's true. You're I'm the only, the only one I've ever met. Yeah. I actually have met another one here in Portland. That I believe. Uh, yeah. And I was surprised. It's spelled differently, but I was like, man, we're fucking part of a cool club. Do you have a middle name? Uh, uh, yeah, Ross. Okay. Yeah. I'd go by Titus, too. Yeah. It's pretty, yeah. pretty rad. Yeah, I mean, I'm, it's very I was deep. named... It's very deep. I know. Titus Muad, Muad Titus. I'd be more like, um, you know... No, nothing there. I was going to say like a, a desert snake, but all snakes are desert snakes, except for the ones that live in the jungle. We're talking um, about snakes, man. Yeah, we're talking cool. about snakes. And you know, uh, it, it could be the, um, the sarlacc. Yeah, sarlacc. Yeah. I could be like a sarlacc. That'd be pretty BA. Yeah, I fucking love a good sarlacc. I can't wait for the new, we're getting way off topic, but I can't yeah. wait for the new Mandalorian, or the, the, uh, Boba Fett the Boba Fett spinoff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm excited for it as well. Because I hope they start with how he survived a star like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's kind of where you have to start. Yeah, I mean, you throw them. He was, he did, he was thrown in with his jetpack, right? The jetpack malfunctioned. Oh, shit. Right. And that's why he was kind of flung in there. Ugh. Yeah. Well, you know. But he's a resourceful fella, yeah, as Boba, we know. Boba knows what's up. You don't. Yeah. It's you no, don't, no Mace Windu. Yeah. You don't yeah, hold your father's decapitated head in your hands as a child and not grow up to, to learn how to fix things. Yeah, you know? too true. Well, I, I see you have the patch there. Yep. So it's, yeah, I yeah. got, I got uh, Boba Fett here. Very living, nice. living his best life on my jacket. Yeah, yeah. very cool. Um, so let me ask you this. What was your first exposure to Alien? So my first exposure to Alien um, was actually from the sequel, Aliens. I had no, you know, no prior knowledge. I was probably six maybe seven at the oldest and my parents were just watching it and they very unwisely just allowed me to continue watching the entire thing and it was it was fucking horrifying uh, but ever since then I, I think that kind of sparked my interest in the macabre and kind of like just more of the alt side of things because sure. before that all of the film I had been exposed to was pretty cheery shit and like it, zero to a hundred going from you know I can't think of a good example but Bambi uh, and then switching gears into, you know, H.R. Geiger-inspired uh, horrific penetration and explosions and, like, right. yeah, it's just... Well, well, touching on things you wouldn't learn about until after, yeah, like, the edible yeah, discussion. Yeah, and, and, and it's, like, <laughs> even though I wasn't aware of that stuff at the time, it still made me, like, deeply uncomfortable and unsettled as, like, sure. a, a young child. And, and for whatever reason, I wasn't, like, I didn't balk at that feeling. I kind of continued to pursue it. 
Yeah, I would, I would say that has to do with the artistic outlook on life. You know, uh, a lot of people who, and that, that's not to say that people who are more mathematically or, or you know, equation or fact-driven aren't creative. They are. Uh, you know, but I, I think it really has to do with that overt interest into the macabre and, and trying to see things. Because, like, the first exposure to a horror film, if you will, that was science fiction in nature was cute. Mm-hmm. Canadian masterpiece. Oh, so good. Yeah. And I rewatched it, and it holds up. Yeah, man. Like, it's great. It's like they tried to capture the magic in the sequels, and while Aliens was able to expand on the universe, I feel like every other cube has fallen short. Sure, yeah. It, it's, it, yeah, I, I, would, I would tend to agree with that, for mm-hmm. sure, because, I mean, it, it was just such mm-hmm. a mind-blowing concept. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it speaks to that, like, you know... Uh, attempted survivalist mentality where it's just like I'm going to do everything I can to survive and then you get to the end if you will and it's like nope sorry nope, yep. it's all useless yeah, it's this all is it. life right um, and they you know they're really similar not in their construction or lighting or anything like that but like the feeling you get from Cube and Alien are largely the same thing while in Cube there's no big bad when you get glimpses of it you know you're kind of facing this un like this this nameless formless system of rooms that can kill you. Sure. Um, it's still that really close-quartered, really tense... Like, sure of what's around the corner. Yeah, kind of, like yeah tear, totally. your, tear your skin off to get away from it. Well, it's, like, it's like the thing, you know? Yeah. Like, it, it, it's, it's that paranoia that it makes you feel as the viewer. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's great science fiction. Science. Yes. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Because, you know, fuck, how long does... How long do you... Uh, minutes of screen time in the original Alien... He's the, the aliens on screen. The xenomorph is on screen for maybe like a maybe two minutes of the entire runtime. To- total runtime, I would and, say that's probably pretty accurate. And yeah. of that, you get a full body shot of it maybe once when he kills Parker. No, you you get it a couple times. So there there's uh he's curled up in the escape yeah. pod. That's kind of. But then when he's being tethered and mm-hmm. like he's he's going into the, the yeah duck, okay that's then true. you do that's see true. him in his, in his in his full form. His greasy wet glory. Why yeah. is everything so wet on the? And how did he grow? Nostromo. How did he grow that leather onesie? That's what right? I right. Yeah. yeah. How did, where did that come? How'd from? How'd you grow your jerkin? But I, you know, I saw Prometheus some time ago, you know, like maybe the year or the year after it came out, and I rewatched it recently, and then I watched Alien, and I was just like, wow, like, it is literally the same fucking script, uh, just in a different vehicle, basically, or with CGI. Yeah, and And, and, for whatever reason, it was fucking embarrassed, and and people hated it. Prometheus on the whole. I think well, but I, I think it ties it in in such a way, like, you know, what does happen to Sean? <laughs> does she make it back? Um, right. You know, like, who continues to run Wayland Corp, really, and, like, you know, their motivation behind maintaining the corporation and then having Ash as the subversion yeah. between the mission. Because, like, you know, Mother and, and Ash are working in cahoots, so obviously, yeah, at, the beh- at the behest of the corporation. Corporate overlords. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's like, um, it's interesting stuff, for sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's um, you know, Alien is a piece of, like, leftist film, you know? It's about, you know, corporatocracy and right. people literally, like, being having their lives be expendable, right? right? Yeah. Um, whereas... I feel like they kind of cranked that back. Obviously, once it became like a profitable, marketable thing, you don't really want to have that be your messaging. So, Aliens was this kind of like... I mean, it still is that a little bit, but it's way more fun and oorah. You feel less depressed when leaving it. You kind of want to join the military, you know? Sure. And, uh, well, it's, like it's funny you mention that. Like, Starship Troopers, yeah. which like, is obvious satire. Yes. Uh, Just it, to it, most. It, it, right. Well, I was going to say, it hit yeah. that all those children that were left behind, you know, no child left behind, all those guys were like, oh, yeah, no, I want to go, you know, be a Marine. So, um, are you a serial watcher? I'm a serial watcher of things. Yeah. Because I, I like to see the nuances and connections, you know, like, I watched Blade Runner, and then I saw Alien, and I was like, oh, there's the Esper startup screen. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, we're, we're going to get into how they coincide yeah. timeline-wise, uh, because they absolutely do, being that it's, they're both Ridley Scott vehicles. Yeah. And he himself has said, like, you know, and there are multiple references throughout, mm-hmm. you know, both series, uh, you know, toward each other. Yeah, I would say I'm a serial watcher. I actually watched it uh, in, in part to prep for this, but I did watch Alien just yesterday with my wife, because, and it's really nice because this kind of feeds my my rewatch habit. Yeah. She has seen very little. She's absorbed 
very little of the media that I have, so I get to, like, even today still be like, oh my gosh, have you fucking seen Alien? Like, we have to throw an Alien, so we watched Alien the other day. Uh, but yeah, I've seen Alien probably ten times over the course of my life. Okay. I feel like watching it every few years, you change as a person, your ability to appreciate and analyze anything changes as you change. So, totally. like, going back... Even delving into H.R. Giger's art. Yeah. Like, when I was a kid and I saw Alien, I didn't know anything about that, yeah. or, or, like, the fear of uh, male penetration mm-hmm. as, like, a societal uh, faux pas, and, like, mm-hmm. all these different things, and addressing, uh, you know, uh, hypersexuality, because they, they do, at the end of the day, they do end up sexualizing Ripley. Yep. I, they tried so hard not tr- to, but then right. right at the end, they have to yep. put her in the lowest rise panties you've ever seen in your entire fucking life. But Sigourney Weaver, she had a permit for that crap. Oh, yeah. yeah. She, good job, Sigourney. Good job. It's only two times. That and Galaxy Quest, I'm like, hell yeah, Sigourney, I'm into this. But usually I'm like, oh, I forgot about Galaxy Quest. How could you? No, well, I, I mean, forget. I, but, I mean, it does have America's dad, a.k.a. everybody's, everybody's <laughs> favorite. <laughs> yeah. All right. Fucking rat. So... That bring, you've seen Aliens, yep, obviously. Yep. You've seen Alien 3 mm-hmm. or Cubes. Do you yep. call it Cubed or, or 3? I, I call it 3, the one with the alien dog. That's yeah. what I call it. You know? Okay. Yeah. It's David Fincher, right? Yes. Oh, it's yeah. a really... Fincher's co- a... Yeah. It's a really cool movie. It does some cool things, but it's like... There are worse shoehorns in yeah. cinematic history. Yeah. I mean, it's got the great... Um, what the fuck is his name? Warm Tongue. Um, in the original Dune as... Uh, 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 dude from Twin Peaks. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's, uh, that's another thing. Anyhow, he's in it. He's great. Um, unless I'm... I fuck it. It's been a long... I only watched... I am not a serial rewatcher of Aliens 3. You know I was thinking of was Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah, it's... But not... I mean, it's obviously not Kyle him, but no, but... but similar... I guess they're both white dudes with brown hair. See, I've been, re- I've been reading the Dune books, yeah. so I, I've, yeah. I have compartmentalized the movie. Yes. To, I, all of those, like, yeah. cast facts yeah. are, like... I'm gonna have to look them half, up for the half the time. Because the, du- the Dune, uh, I, you know, like I don't want to lose viewership. Yeah. <laughs> so like the Dune series is gonna be like twelve parts. Yeah, yeah. Because it has to be. I have to. Yeah. I have to. I mean, my God, like way off topic, but I I also reread it recently, and like people, if they see you with it, they're like, "Oh, the Dune is it good? Is it good?" And you're like, "Yeah, it really picks up after the first like three hundred <laughs> pages," yeah. and they're like, "Oh, oh God." It's like, yeah, it's really, it does become worth it. It does. I swear to God, everyone, go read Doom. I agree. I, mm-hmm. I think it's it's one of those classics, but you really have to you know, use the Omicron variant to your advantage. Yeah, you know, turn lemons into yeah, Omicron turn sand lemon. into sandstorms. Yeah. Um, but, okay, back to Aliens 3. Well, yeah. Aliens 3 was a cool movie. They did a lot of cool stuff. I, it's so, for whatever reason, it just does not feel to me like it lives in the same universe right. as, like, the previous installments. Right, right. And even, to an extent, the fourth one, which I really don't like. Yeah. Um, just because I just don't like it. Covenant. Yeah. Yeah. Covenant. With, with, like, the hyper-futuristic xenomorph and all this and that. Yeah, and then... And, and it, so, okay, and, and that... I don't want to go into AVP territory, mm-hmm. but it takes it there because they were kind of co-released yes. in AVP 2 and Covenant, I think it was. But, um, yeah, I, uh, I'm actually looking forward to doing the Predator because they're obviously part of the same universe. Oh, yeah. Time frame-wise, though, like... I, I, I haven't watched or, dealt, or done a deep dive in a Predator too recently, so I don't want to say like it's 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 fucking great. I I love uh, Carl Weathers. Yep. Uh, in that, that role is amazing. The facts that's going to be a great five. episode because yeah. the facts and the, the filming of that dude is like talk about prima donnas. Like, yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, talk about a bicep measuring contest. Right. My good lord, I don't have time to bleed. The yeah. movie just drips testosterone. Ugh. Silly. A silly amount, but oh, it's so good. Oh, it is so it good. is great. Ugh. And um Yeah, that's why Predator is one of the biggest franchises. Yeah, man. So, so I won't ask you to dive too deep okay. into AVP, but who who are you who do you root for? You know, at the end of the day, like the Xenomorphs have the intrinsic, like 
primeval built-in defense mechanisms and shit. Not to say that predators aren't guarded either, but predators rely largely on their technology. Technology We use technology a lot to try Mm -hmm. to catch uh, animals that have heightened senses or like expanded vision spectrum or sensory organs that we don't have and we're unsuccessful largely in the ocean and I would, I would, I would go so far as to argue that you know um, AVP is a commentary on man's coexistence and attempt to conquer nature and that no matter how much technology we develop we're going to be incapable of doing so on a grander, not only planetary, but largely cosmic scale. Man, the sea uh, of man versus nature, the man versus nature reading of Alien, which I never really considered, because you hear so much about, like, oh, you know, forced male penetration, you know, forced impregnation, all this right. stuff. There's a lot of Like, the, the more base, like, man versus nature aspect does kind of get lost in, in, the, in the, the wash of it all, but... Watching it now in 2021 was fucking wild because they talk about like quarantine procedures. They're like, right. you can't come on because like you have quarantine. It's like, it's weird how relevant that. I remains. stand with Ripley, by the way. Yeah, well, fuck yeah, I yeah. stand Ripley all day. You know, you've got. But Ash, there wouldn't be a movie without. Little bastard. Yeah. It's true. Well, yeah, it's he true. was he was acting so personally, but like, yes. like, okay, so the scene where Kane all of a sudden is fucking mm-hmm. great, you know, and they're having dinner and this and that, like mm-hmm. I. It, the, the red flags even when I was a kid were going off like there's something wrong here like mm-hmm. this thing didn't just attach itself just for shits and giggles right. like and you, yeah. you go from this horrifying imagery of this guy like being choked to death and then smash cut to he's fine everyone's gonna have a nice well lit meal together yeah. you know meanwhile like, this thing just dies off that happens to have corrosive right. acid as its blood source like and, and that's that's the other thing too. Like you know, if you're if you're a predator, bring it back to AVP. If you're, if you're hunting a xenomorph, like you know, and, and you're not using fire, and you somehow you know have close combat quarters, you're gonna get dripped on. Yep. You're gonna. You're, you might cut it accidentally and get fucking. You know, it just goes through your kneecap or whatever you know skeletal structure they have. Um, yeah, I, I would I would have to ultimately give it to the xenomorph. Yeah, I think I would agree with you that the xenomorph is, is going to win, but I root... I root for Predator. For Predator. Because, because that is us. Yes, it is us. We yeah. can see ourselves in Predator. Because, like, okay, let's let's think about Prometheus. Mm-hmm. Ultra Strong, the engineer mm-hmm. that encounters the, you know, at the end of the ship, right? Like, um, it ends up getting fucked up. And then... Yeah. The xenomorph, like it, it, it's like, oh shit! This isn't just a human. This is a fucking engineer. Like, all right. So let me ask you this: from Alien, which character do you identify with the most, and why? Mm, Parker. Parker. Parker, because I, uh, well, I'm always bitching about wanting more money too. You know, which I it? fucking In fully, I fully agree with Parker, and because Parker is like. Ultimately, other than Ripley, Parker's like the spirit of the movie. Like he's your everyman. He's a blue collar worker. He like well, um, Brett. Brett is too. Yeah, Brett is too. But Brett just says he's a skeever. Yeah, he's a skeever, and he's he's maybe in the in my opinion the most tense scene in the entire movie. But my God, like I don't know. He doesn't say anything, so I don't identify as when he's like in the air shaft area. No, no, no. When he's in, when he's looking at the um, the escape or whatever he's looking for for the cat Jones yeah yeah he's looking for Jonesy that's when he gets got yeah okay sorry I just uh, sorry not thinking air I was thinking air ducks I was thinking the captain Um, but yeah with the the, it's like dead silent the chains are just like tinkling and he's like there's this solid like 30 second shot of him getting like water dripped on he's just kind of like relaxed under it like vulnerability in that moment like that like we were talking about I felt so tense so much better we were talking about the the meal scene before they go into the deep freeze and like I think like that obviously yes a lot of tension there but the tension that gets ratcheted up before he goes is like to me like sublime it's like so intense hard to even look at Um, but yeah I I identified he's, he's you know He's just a working guy. He wants more money. Right. But at the end of the day, even... He's also pretty resourceful, and he gets yeah. a relatively cool head yeah. By, yeah. And, yeah, and, by the and, end of it. At the end of the day, he... Uh, and, and he tried to save Lambert. He yeah. was like, look, you know, move the fuck out of the way. I'm going to light this dude up. Paralyzed by fear. It's yeah. a terrible thing to happen. I, I'd have roasted the both of them. Oh, F- fuck, fuck yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm far more cynical than Parker. So yeah. I would have roasted them both and just been like, ah, oh, God, I don't know what happened. First better. off, I would have, I would have liked to have had some sort of projectile weapon. Yeah. 
Yeah, something because like when something that comes out of my buddy uh, with titanium teeth, I, I'm shooting first and analyzing later. Like I, to be honest, like uh, you know. It, I was kind of happy when they got Ash mm-hmm. because I was like, "You fucking idiot!" Yeah. Like dummy. Well, well, not dummy. I mean, but like you asshole, yeah. you, you fucking subversive piece of shit. I mean, he is kind of a dummy though because he must have known that. Like, you know, he was looking at he was he was looking at uh, William Hurt getting impregnated down his throat. Right. Obviously, he's the scientist. He sees what's happening. He must know at that point. Yeah. Then after the eggs have laid, things dead. They're about to go in the deep freeze. The smart move at that point is to say, no, let's not have a meal. Let's all just go get frozen, right. get the fuck out of here. Right. And then, the yeah, so ultimately, I think he is a dumbass because he really yeah. fucked that up. You know, yeah. Waylon Yutani could have had a, a prime alien specimen. So you say Waylon Yutani, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, it's just Waylon Corp because he buys Yutani out and he also buys like Lockheed Martin, yeah. Boeing. Uh, yeah, a, a number of other companies. It's like, a, it's like a Facebook meta situation. You can't distance, your, distance yourself from the from the Japanese weapons manufacturers. No, that's so true. And, and you know, at the end of the day, there is a lot of Japanese influence and Asian influence in general in this universe. I mean, if you look at Blade Runner, the city is now just Chinatown. Yeah. Well, or or I mean, well, there's also Korean influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and otherwise yeah it's crazy like when you would walk around in Korea dude, when it was raining it was like shit it, I feel like Deckard awesome. I do I do I'm That's, gonna get some noodles and pay yeah. too much if I came across a half nude <laughs> platinum blonde man yeah. in the rain I would stop and be like have don't, you have you seen attack ships on fire yeah. off the shoulder of a ride don't do a attack how was Tannhauser Gate yeah <laughs> don't do attack gymnastics at me please right yeah well, okay, so I, that scene with Chris mm. is so bad. I'm sorry, that is, that's the worst scene of the movie. Where Some she's things, like writhing and yeah. screaming, I'm just like... Some things don't hold up. No, uh, a lot of they, things don't hold up. The, the cut um, in Alien, when they, they knock off Ash's head, right. fucking with it on the ground. And then all of a sudden... <laughs> yeah, and cut, it's like, oh, it's like a normal person. Cut to Chris is the worst-looking papier-mâché head I've seen in my entire so life. Bad. It so doesn't. Bad. You could make plaster casts of people's heads at that time. Yeah. Just do that. What have you done? <laughs> there, there are better plaster casts of like John Dillinger's face. Yeah, yeah. It, it didn't. It was. It was a disgrace to death masks across the world. You know? it looked like shit. Indeed. <laughs> so that brings me to a, an excellent segue, which is, you know, Waylon Yutani versus Tyrell Corp. And, and their android creation, because you know, uh, Waylon is is uh, quoted as mentioning or referring to uh, Tyrells as. Robotic abominations, yeah. right? So you know, it's like, it, was there? Were they partners at one point? Like that would be so fucking cool. Like if they went to like MIT together, or what the equivalent? Well, I, I, MIT essentially would have existed, I, I suppose. In that there is time. there is a line in Guy Pierce. He says, "My mentor." He's talking about his mentor, and he says, "My mentor." did something from from uh, pyramid in a pyramid in a city of angels right and like that's Tyrell. a pretty direct that's Tyrell one of West Tyrell yeah. he lives in a fucking pyramid in LA which is badass as fuck yeah it's sick it's, I it's, love... Flank, it's Frank Lloyd Wright's yeah like, yeah it's like I don't know man like the, the cool brutalism of uh, uh, like it's like te- techno brutalism it's, it's insane right it's so cool and it, there's no doubt that that's going to be imitated forever and ever. It still looks modern. It yeah. still looks right. like when I imagine the future, I'm still kind of banking on a grimy, wet... Well, it's, it's kind of like when you see the got like the Tim Burton Batman movies. Like Gotham was this like like pseudo noir yeah. entity that like when you walk through Chicago or New York, sometimes you're like, oh shit, this feels like I'm going to get you know batarang or something. Yeah. Got to stay away from the, the sewer drains. Chicago. Yeah, oh. apparently. Uh, oh man. So, what is your favorite scene in the movie? Um. So, we kind of talked about it already, but it is yeah. the scene where where he's uh, uh Fox looking for for Jones the cat and just totally gets murked. And just the ratcheting of the tension in that scene is my favorite. Other than that, it is I tense. Would, I would say my favorite is, and this is a weird one to pick, the uh title credits sequence. It's so cool. It's so cool the way that the slow 
inexorable march of the, the word alien forming across the screen. So good. It sets the tone so perfectly for for the movie. It's insane. Like I also rewatched Predator recently, and I forget every time that I watch it that it opens up and it shows the, the crash. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I like... Well, it doesn't, like, show the crash, but no, it shows but the, the ship yeah. coming down to yeah. Earth, yeah. implying that it crashes or lands or whatever. And I, like, block it out of my head every time because I'm like, this is dumb. You know, I don't need to see that. I don't. But, like, I feel like in Alien, there is very little wasted celluloid. I think a little bit, I would say, the only boring scene in the entire goddamn movie to me is the landing sequence because they just make they make a meal out of the fucking scene yeah they sure do yeah I get that well and those landing and transition or or launching sequences in movies back in the day like that concept in and of itself was such a great thing and relatively new right so So they were really yeah making a meal out of it is a good way to put it yeah, and like, yeah, we're going to do all these big, oh, shit, what's going on? I hope our, our giant spacecraft doesn't slowly, or it doesn't continue to slowly move out of screen, out of frame, and, you know? And, and so. we're, we're used to it now because of the tech that we see with, that's associated with interstellar travel. Oh, yeah. But, like, they're looking at, like, Hulk, yeah. basically. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like... Uh, you know, Nolan Bushnell might as well design the interface. Yeah, it was, yeah. It's, it, it's just bad. It's really yeah, bad. It's, it was great for 1979, because this is, remember, this is two years after Star Wars came out. True. So, like, you have to create a completely unique yet compelling universe. And, and like, the Nostromo is not what you would expect, because the Millennium Falcon is flying around, they're yeah, going hyper... It's, it's in sexy, a hyper- right. you know... This is like a force-fired fucking... It looks like an oil mining rig that can float through space. And, like, that's the kind of cool, like... I don't know, it, it almost feels like it's like spaceships designed by, like, fucking Russians or something, you know? It just, it gives you, it gives me more Sputnik uh, a little bit. I guess not Sputnik, it's dumb. It gives me, like, um, Lunar Lander... Vibes. Well, it, it definitely goes in line. Like, I, I would be surprised. I would not be surprised to learn that H.R. Giger had an influence in designing the Nostromo as well, because of its spired nature and its tiered nature, and you know, just the fact that it is so out there. It's got boobies on the it's bottom. It's got boobies and with with long, either long ass nipples yeah. or some phallic <laughs> symbols. Whatever floats your boat or hey. finds your lost remote. Yeah, you know? yeah, and depending on where you're watching, could be both long nipples and boobies. I've seen could that be. documentary. <laughs> Yeah, I guess what's your what's your favorite scene? Yeah, my favorite scene is definitely um, I actually like it when Ash's head is on the ground, mm-hmm. and I like it because it's so bad. So like when I'm watching it, I get tickled because I I know that you know uh, Parker's about to knock his head off, yeah. and it's such a clean break. Too. <laughs> like it, yeah, and he's just hanging there. <laughs> doing his thing and it's it's just so bad man talk about like not being used to technology yet but like he's legit when he gets his head knocked off doing the fucking robot with his hands yeah look at one point when he like falls on Ripley he's got his fingers his hands like in the the like motion and is like doing this on her like karate chopping her I thought it was fucking hilarious it's, it's a great scene, and uh, he, like you said, he had to have some. Well, no, Ian Holm was the one with the chunky milk. Yeah, but, yeah. But there was definitely some milk. Yeah, involved. he had some milk action. I'm sh- I actually think that it was also gross, nasty milk for him as well. I would assume so. Yeah, I think any yeah. any dairy product under stage lights for like an eight hour shoot. You know, you know here's here's my biggest thing. Give the guy clam chowder. Yeah. Give him cl- why give him chunky milk? If I want, if I'm gonna hold something in my mouth for like 45 seconds while we're we're speeding, you know, we're sound checking, we're clearing the we're clearing the set, lighting is being adjusted. You want it, you want it to be some nice thick chowder. Mean the while, I've got chunky ass three day expired Ooh. milk sitting in my gullet. Give me chowder. Yeah, I, I might, chowder. I just don't make it like, red chowder. I might say like a nice like honeyed yogurt with some cinnamon. Oh, you know? Okay. That might be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or uh, yeah, some cottage cheese. Maybe. Yeah, some kefir. I dr- I love kefir. I've actually never had kefir. Oh, it's Is so it good? good. Well, it's a bit sour, but you oh, know, if, I mean, you, if you get like a strawberry one, it's yeah. not so bad. Are we talking like sour beer sour or like sour gummy worms? Sour beer sour. Yeah. Disgusting. It's. it's it's, it's not the greatest thing in the world. I mean, I'm not saying put it in your Cheerios. <laughs> but, uh, you know... I, you could try. You could try. You could try it. 
Where do you think, or, or what other movie other than Alien do you, Alien and, because they share a universe, what other sci-fi movie other than Alien and Blade Runner, because I would say those are the big two, from that kind of era, really enforce like hard sci-fi like we see it now? Because I don't really know that there is another one. Like, I feel like so much is cribbed from those, too. Like, I have, I'm hard-pressed to think of another one, because, like, Star Wars is space wizards. It's realistically fantasy with some lasers in it. Right, and Star Trek was basically the same thing. Terminator. Oh, fuck, yeah! Terminator, and then that's another series yeah. that comes through, for sure. Um, well, okay, it's, it's not from the same era, but Close Encounters. Yeah, Close Encounters. Close Encounters is another, you know, great... Because it's more serious than you see. Yeah, yeah. And, and while it's not um, as, like, positive vibesy as you see, it's still, I would say, you know, a positive feel-good movie at the end of the day. There are scary parts, but for the most part, you know, the bad guy is not the aliens, it's the government, which is cool. Fuck the man. Um, yeah. Well, and, and it's not uh, it's not live action, and this is a, I want to do an episode about this, uh, Heavy Metal. Hell yeah. The first real full, like full length animated, yeah, adult, and, uh, yeah. animated film, yeah, titties and all, dude, titties, love it to death. Uh, fuck, I just had an incredible, amazing point, and uh, hey, that'll happen gone forever. That's okay. Like tears in the rain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Improv that line, yeah, dude, it's insane, dude. Big Rutger Hauer, Hauer fan, you know, like Hobo with a Shotgun is so good. Yeah. Um, there's my, my father is Dutch. Yeah. And I, I grew up a little bit in the Netherlands, so Rutger Hauer is a national treasure. I was I was raised under the false assumption that I was mostly Dutch, and it turns out that is not fucking true. Uh, we're mostly French. It was a huge. A bunch of French people said fuck France and moved to yeah. to the that area. Well, the Flemish. Yeah are Frankish and Germanic, uh, and they, they reside largely in the Belgian area, which is right tucked in between. So you're right there. You're yep, right, right in there. there. Yeah, they, you're right there. Yeah, they changed. Uh, I always had inklings, because my mother's maiden last name was Pasteur. I was like, oh, Pasteur, like yeah. pasteurization, that's very sure, French. Really Pasteur, they yeah. made it O-O-R instead of E-U-R or whatever. Oh. So, yeah. And then we found out via the, you know, now that Google has all our DNA and shit via the 23andMe's, now we know for a fact we're French. Explains my love Yeah, don't do Ancestry.com. That's the Latter-day Saints. I don't oh, know. God. That's for our viewers. I'm if from you, you're considering, <laughs> well, then you know who your yeah. sister cousin is. Yeah. Um, I do. <laughs> I know, I, know I, have, I know I have a secret black cousin that no one talks about. Oh, are you, are you related to Thomas Jefferson? I'm sure yeah. <laughs> Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Um, he's a modern-day Genghis Khan. Yeah. So, uh, we can hear Euphonia Sundays from 8 to 9 a.m. Yep. on Shady Pines, if uh, I'm not Shady mistaken. Pines. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to hear past episodes, you can check out my Mixcloud. It's just uh, mixcloud.com slash Tyus McCowan. Uh, it's basically a strictly music show. I try and talk as little as possible and cram in as much good tunes as I can uh, I play as I, I try <laughs> I try and get a little fun with my musical genres but as I went back through what I've been playing in the last few weeks it's like oh most of this is like surf punk uh, so if you like surf punk please hey, tune in I, I was listening to Agent Orange today yeah fuck yeah uh, but other than that you know electro uh, pop all sorts of fun stuff if, it, if it's good for your ears I like to play it and uh, yeah it's also an excuse to, to play my friends who are musicians Music on the radio. Awesome. So, yeah. Well, if you hey, want to be my friend and you're a musician, you know, let me know. I'll play you. Tyus will be your friend and yeah. he will play you in one way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, thank you for stopping by. Absolutely. I appreciate you hanging out and talking to Alien. Yeah. Um, this was a blast. Let's go hit this mic. Fucking A. Awesome. What a great interview. Always a fun time meeting up with someone from the Pines. Check out the Instagram post for this episode on my account, that's at reese underscore comedy dot exe, for some pics from that night. <sighs> it's now time for your water cooler fact. 
We can't talk about the film Alien without diving into the immensely dark and compelling settings created by Swiss artist H.R. Giger, or Hans Rudolph, or Rudy, to friends, family, and those whose minds and hearts he has touched over the years with his art. I highly encourage everyone to watch the documentary about him called Dark Star, uh, which is super awesome and delves into his early life and how he came to develop his style. If you're in the vicinity of Gruyere, Switzerland, you do well to check out the H.R. Giger Bar and Museum. It looks awesome. All the aliens in the movie, the facehugger, the chestburster, the humanoid space jockey, and the big bad adult, were designed by the surrealist painter H.R. Giger. Dan O'Bannon, screenwriter, handpicked him for Alien. He had first met Giger in Paris while working on Alejandro Jodorowsky's failed Dune movie. He was influenced by Giger's sinister images and by his demeanor. As O'Bannon recalled in The Beast Within, The Making of Alien, Giger offered him opium immediately upon introduction. Seems like a move he would make. When O'Bannon asked the artist why he took opium, Giger replied, I am afraid of my own visions. O'Bannon assured him it was only in his mind, to which he replied, That is what I'm afraid of. Dutch custom officials once stopped Giger because they thought his paintings were actual photographs and were deeply disturbed by the images and subject matter. Giger, however, was just annoyed. He said, where on earth do you think I could have photographed my subjects? He responded, in hell, perhaps? H.R. Giger's other notable works include his book Necronomicon, the painting Birth Machine, Biomechanoidon, and his whole catalog in general, as he is a multifaceted artist with paintings, sculptures, and photography runs. It's a good thing I wasn't on the Nostromo, because I'd have been way more liberal with the flamethrower, and then there wouldn't really be a series, just me coming home to take all the shares of the haul. Sorry, Parker and Brett. I'd like to acknowledge today's sources before we head back to Earth, Thanks to mentalfloss.com, fandom.com, and screenrant.com, and of course, my wife and research partner, Amanda, without whom I wouldn't be able to pull any of this together. Thanks for tuning in this week as we narrowly avoided ovipositration, chest explosions, and wily androids with an affinity for chunky milk. For now, we're going to revisit the Alien franchise and take a deep dive into the sequels with a focus on Prometheus. Uh, but for now, this is the last episode of 2021. So thank you to all the listeners out there, and see y'all in 2022. Here's to a healthy and happy new year. Next week, we switch gears to a sci-fi comedy, Idiocracy. I met up with local Portland comedian Kyle Adams over the phone to talk about the Mike Judge classic and smoke some shots of Brondo because... Yeah, it's got electrolytes. You can catch that episode next Tuesday and next year on January 4th, and future episodes every Tuesday from 8 to 9 a.m. Only on Shady Pines Radio. You're listening to ShadyPinesRadio.com. Here's the lineup for Tuesdays. Starting at 10 a.m., Emotional Weather Report with Jamie Stewart. At 11 a.m., Beat Salad with Mason O'Brien. The Blue Hour with Blue Adams at noon. The Prague Hour with Reagan Lindy at 2 p.m. At 4 p.m., Cosmic Taco Beat Chef with Big Papa Warrior. No Dancing Please with L. Ron Hubbard at 5 p.m. Toasty Tunes with Alex Toast at 6 p.m. At 8 p.m., Radio Seance with your psychic friends with Oskin and Mags. At 9 p.m., Fresh Unoriginal with DJ Wineglass. And at 10 p.m., Turntable Talk with Chili and Bass. No matter the day or time, you've picked the right time to listen in. Thanks for listening, and tell others. Shady Pines Radio. The last time, I'm pretty sure what's killing the crops is this Brondo stuff. The Brondo's got what plants crave. It's got electrolytes. So wait a minute. What you're saying is that you want us to put water on the crops? Yes. Water, like out the toilet? Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be out of the toilet, but but yeah, that's the idea. But Brondo's got what plants crave. It's got electrolytes. Okay, look. The plants aren't growing. <laughs>
So I'm pretty sure that the Brondo's not working. Now, I'm no botanist, but I do know that if you put water on plants, they grow. Well, I've never seen no plants grow out of no toilet. Hey, that's good. You sure you ain't the smartest guy in the world? Yeah. So <laughs> okay, look, you want to solve this problem. I want to get my pardon, so why don't we just try it, okay? And not worry about what plants crave. Brondo's got what plants crave. Yeah, it's got electrolytes. What are electrolytes? Do you even know? It's what they use to make Brondo. Yeah, but why did they use them to make Brondo? Because Brondo's got electrolytes. <laughs>